Next year we will. He'll be back next year, so. So have your kids had a good time? Are you too tired to know right now? Sure was a lot quieter last night, wasn't it? <laughs> Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are our Father, that you have adopted us as your children. Having pardoned our sins, you've granted to us all the privileges of sons and daughters. We thank you, Lord, that your covenant embraces us with our children and that as we have family camp uh, and we come together as families, we recognize that uh, your dealings are with us in our families. We pray that our children will recognize the tremendous privilege that is theirs to be a part of your covenant, to be in Christian homes, be members of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to recognize as well uh, as families the privileges that belong to us in the Lord's Day. I pray that you will help the children uh, to love the Lord's Day, not to resent the changes, but to see them as good and kind gifts from you. And as we think this afternoon about making plans uh, for the Lord's Day, we pray that you, again, will give us insight and help us as we make practical applications of your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Sometimes vacations can be mixed blessings. And by that I mean that uh, the preparations for a vacation can often be tedious. But we know that if we don't make those preparations that the vacation can be disastrous. Uh, perhaps even as you made your plans to come up here and be gone uh, for almost a week, you uh, recognize what I'm talking about. There were maybe bills that had to be paid ahead of time, uh, arrangements be made to take care of the yard or the sprinkler system, to take care of the mail, the newspaper, to water plants, to take care of pets, I often find that before I go on vacation or any kind of lengthy trip that I'm up until the wee hours of the morning simply getting things accomplished uh, for the life I'm leaving behind so I can forget about it uh, for at least a few days. And you know what I mean. Well, I would suggest to you that we should approach the Sabbath in much the same way that we would approach a vacation. And that is that uh, we need to spend some time in preparing for the Lord's Day and not just falling into it. Another great, great quote from Dabney had to do with his parents, his father. He said, How sacredly was the Sabbath improved. My father went about making the best of the sacred day just as seriously and systematically as any wise businessman planning to put in the best work possible on some favorable day in the middle of harvest. He evidently a acted on this clear, rational, and conscientious conviction. 
I have a great and urgent work to do for my own soul and others. The one day in seven, which a kind heavenly Father has endeavored to secure for me, for this task is none too much if improved to the best. So I must make the most of it. And that's what we're going to talk about this afternoon in this last uh, practical section as we deal with this issue of the Christian Sabbath or the Lord's Day is planning ahead. In the morning times, we've dealt with the theological, exegetical foundation for an ongoing Sabbath for the people of God. We've sought to see from uh, Genesis 2 that it is a creation ordinance of perpetual moral obligation on God's people, structured for us in the fourth commandment, blessings attached to it in Isaiah 58, 13, and 14, enforced by Christ who does not uh, annul the commandment but rather takes away the Jewish traditions that we might have it brought back to its uh, full purpose and beauty. And then this morning, seeking to deal with the uh, Pauline passages that Paul does not uh, do away with the Lord's Day or the Sabbath, but rather does away with the Jewish ceremonial days. And that presented the background for looking then at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, where the writer tells us there remains therefore a Sabbath-keeping for the people of God, and the day of that Sabbath-keeping has been established uh, in the day of the resurrection, that Christ entered into his rest uh, after the work of redemption as God entered into his rest on the seventh day after the work of creation. Now, tomorrow morning, uh, we'll do one other, in a sense, practical section, although it isn't exegesis of Psalm 92. We'll be looking at the, uh, the great work of the Sabbath, which is corporate worship. And that should put us in a very good frame of mind to go home then tomorrow afternoon or Saturday with a keen anticipation for the privileges that God has uh, for us. But to have that keen appreciation, we need to plan ahead. So I want to talk about uh, practical preparations and spiritual uh, preparations. It's there on your outline. If you don't have it, it's up here. If anybody needs, anybody need this, number 10? We have three things here under practical preparations. In the first place, we need to tie up the loose ends. If we're going to enjoy the Lord's Day, then we must be able to enter into the Lord's Day without uh, nagging uh, thoughts or feelings of undone work or pressure of responsibilities. And so we need to use Saturday to complete our work and domestic responsibilities of the week so that we're not entering into the Lord's Day worrying about uh, an unfinished thing at the office or an unfinished uh, chore at the house, but we have structured our Saturdays so that we can uh, pull all these things together and uh, free ourselves. Is this to take the analogy of the vacation. You, you do all the hard work of preparation so that when you get on vacation, uh, you, you don't have to worry about it. You, know. you should have left those cell phones at home and the compu portable computers and all of that, you should be here not worrying about those things. But definitely on the Sunday, you don't need to be uh, worrying about it. But the only way you're going to do that is to be able to bring closure 
to your various responsibilities at home and uh, in the office, the schoolroom, or whatever, to bring closure to that to a certain degree by uh, Saturday afternoon so you can put it behind you. Furthermore, leave time on Saturdays to wrap up the chores that you have begun. Um, this is something that my wife has been beating into my head for a number of years that, uh, you know, tend to try to get more out of a, a day than um, is in it. So I can plan the chore right up to quitting time, but then I haven't planned for cleaning up after the chore, which is always the worst part anyway washing the equipment or putting away the gardening stuff or whatever. And so we, ha we need to plan our Saturdays so that uh, we are allowing time not only to wrap up the chore but to wrap up the wrapping up of the chore and to be able to tie all uh, the knots together there as well. And um, this just simply brings us back to something that I said yesterday and that is the, uh, the practical benefit of the Sabbath in promoting uh, a stewardship of time. Just as tithing um, teaches us to be stewards, much better stewards of our financial resources because we have less than those who do not tithe or do not tithe and send their kids to Christian school. So uh, a careful Sabbath keeping is going to make us better stewards of our time. We have less time to use and thus we're going to use it with more care and thoughtfulness and not just kind of uh, drift through life like a piece of bark on a mountain stream. And so the first thing that we do for preparation is we tie up the loose ends. second thing is that we uh, learn to plan ahead. Now again, these things are very practical and I'm sure that most of you, if not all of you, probably have already thought about all of them and I'm um, probably just boring you at this point, but... Um, uh, I think it's important that we still be reminded of these things. Such basic things as getting the car serviced on Saturday afternoon. That's a lesson that I had to learn the hard way. The first six years of our marriage, we lived uh, in a uh, man's, a church-provided house, next door to the church building. So I never thought about the car having gas in it on uh, Sunday because I didn't drive anywhere on Sunday. Walk to church. So we got to Philadelphia doing our graduate work and it took two Sundays of not having enough gas to, to get to where we were going to church for me to learn the lesson that, you know, <laughs> got to get that done on Saturday. And it became then a, a Saturday habit, a part of uh, Saturday preparation now is to be sure on Saturday afternoon that the car is serviced, it has gasoline, um, and even you know, not just enough to get by, but if there's an emergency or something you need to do in terms of, of a visit or something like that, that you've got more than what you think you might need. So you pull together those kind of things in planning ahead. And then the same with respect to uh, groceries. How many times do we have to run down to the grocery store on Sunday morning and buy milk or bread or something like that because we're out? When in fact, it's a little bit of forethought. Um, uh, do the list. Make sure that we are ready um, for the Lord's Day, that we don't place ourselves into a place of uh, temptation, that we haven't put the ox in the ditch by our carelessness, um, by simply having a, a checklist to be sure that uh, everything is ready with regard to uh, groceries. 
and a connection with that within the preparation of the Sunday meal. Many families have a tradition of a more elaborate Sunday meal, and there's nothing at all wrong with that as long as you're not forcing the, the housewife into the kitchen on Sunday morning to do all this work, which gives her no time to prepare uh, for the Lord's Day, or she goes to church you know, already harried because of the amount of work. And so, again, much of the um, meal preparation uh, for uh, Sunday can be done on Saturday so that the lady of the house uh, can also have a, a more genuine Sabbath in terms of the things that she is able to do. And I did mention uh, to us men then how we should be pitching in and uh, helping with those uh, kitchen chores and particularly the cleaning up afterwards uh, so that our wives will have uh, more of a genuine Sabbath. And then another area of planning ahead, probably the, the thing that gets most of us with uh, little children or even young children, is to have our, our clothing selected and prepared on Saturday night. You know, shoes have a way of hiding on Sunday morning, don't they? One of them, not, never both of them. One shoe seems to sneak off during the night and hide. Right, kids? Everybody's ready to go to church? I can't find my shoe. <laughs> no. Well, these are the kind of, kind of things that if we... Uh, what's happening up here, Steve? Maybe it's Dabney, huh? He's too charged. Prepare what you're going to wear to church the next day. Make sure that if it needs to be pressed, it's pressed. Um, that you know where it is, it's laid out, you're ready to go, which simply makes it easier on everybody. Uh, it's Satan's great tool on Sunday morning to get us to church either upset or impatient or somebody's lost their temper because of a shoe or a sock or, or uh, Speedo or whatever's missing. <laughs> on Sunday morning. And so we can, uh, we can do these things. Our son came home. Uh, he's working up at, at Covenant this summer and, and we just got into this new house and sleeping the floors and all of that. But he, he came home to see us and he brought a friend with him and here he is on Saturday night and he says, uh, do you have an iron? Well, we, didn't have a, we, we didn't have an iron, no. We, <laughs> we were living out of a box. So we had all of his... Uh, wrinkle clothes, but at least he thought about it on Saturday night, not Sunday morning, so we threw it in the microwave. And by the way, <laughs> it works. Spray a little bit, throw it in the microwave. Don't leave it too long. <laughs> but it gets the wrinkles out. So, <laughs> But we uh, learned to, um, to plan ahead. Very practical things. But these are the types of things that will make the Lord's Day uh, much more uh, enjoyable for us. And then probably the place that we're most uh, obviously careless and negligent is in the area of uh, getting our rest. Have you ever noted that if, I'm not talking now so much about the, a pastor or somebody that has some significant responsibilities, but you often are tiredest on Sunday? Have you ever thought about that? Do you know Why? It's because the adrenaline switch never came on. You didn't have significant responsibilities. You get up any day of the week and you've immediately got challenges and, 
deadlines and responsibilities lying before you. For a great number of you, you don't have that on a Sunday morning. And so in a sense, it's, it's a lot like, again, vacation. Have you ever noticed that if you're really exhausted, even though you're sleeping more, how the first two or three days of vacation, you're listless? You just don't want to do anything? It's because suddenly the turbos didn't have to come on. There's no adrenaline. Uh, and uh, your body now is telling you how tired it is. And so oftentimes our Sundays, I mean, we are getting that physical rest we need because those of us that, again, are not involved in, in uh, uh, preaching and teaching and stuff like that, we, we get more uh, rest that way. But on the other hand, it does mean that we're more sluggish. You don't fall asleep at the desk at work. And if you do, you won't be working there very long but it's awfully easy to fall asleep in the pew. And uh, so it's very important that we think about the, the getting our rest. And it's particularly you young people and teenagers need to, um, to think about this. We often think about Sunday as a free day. And because Sunday's a free day, that means I can sleep in. And because I can sleep in, I can stay up later. So suddenly we have thrown our whole physical uh, mechanism off by this approach that I can stay up late, I can sleep later, and what we have done is guaranteed that we are not going to be refreshed on the Lord's Day. Now I have talked to doctors about this and um, I haven't talked to a podiatrist about it, but <laughs> maybe he'll confirm this as well. Let's say you get your regular sleep from 10.30 to 6.30. And so you're getting eight hours sleep. So you say, well, I can stay up on Saturday night till midnight and sleep till eight on Sunday, and I'm still getting eight hours sleep. But the thing is that the body that's accustomed to a certain pattern of sleep is not as rested, even though you get the same amount of sleep if you throw off the schedule of sleep. Now, I mean, you know, changing time zone shows you the same thing. I can get eight hours sleep when I go from one coast to the other, but I'm not as rested because I have thrown my body off of its, of its rhythm, of its, of its regular uh, sleep. And so even if you can sleep in in the morning, you're not going to be as rested. And furthermore, if you're sleeping until eight, you're not going to be able to do the other part of preparation that we're discussing here this afternoon, and that is the spiritual preparation for the Lord's Day. So it is very important but you don't look at Saturday night as kind of uh, the first night of vacation and you can stay up until the wee hours of the morning because you can sleep all day the next day. But rather, as Dabney spoke about his father, in one sense you need to think about it as tomorrow is the most serious day of my week. You know, if you had a major appointment uh, the next morning that you're not going to stay up late. You're going to try to get your rest. You're going to try to get up early so you're fresh and sharp so that when you do that appointment, the job interview or the, uh, the sale or whatever it is, that you're ready. And this, this is the, the mindset that we ought to have with respect to the Lord's Day. That we want to go into it sharp and fresh and ready so that we're more jealous to guard for our rest. In our our own practice, we've, we've tried, and even when I'm not in the pulpit regularly, to, for Saturday nights by 7 o'clock, everything needs to be shut down. That means that we need to be finished in the kitchen, and it's rarely that we ever would go out or accept an invitation. 
on Saturday night so that we can just uh, shut down and be ready. And when the kids were in high school, we would uh, uh, recommend they not go out on Saturday night. We prefer them to do their socializing on Friday night. But if they did have to do something on Saturday night, they needed to be home at 10. They didn't always like that. But uh, I think it's just the kind of thing that you do to help structure yourself so that you are getting an appropriate amount of physical rest to prepare for the Lord's Day. And another lesson that took me a bit to learn, and that is avoid overdoing it on Saturday. You know, I, I tend to go full out whatever I'm doing. So if I'm going out to work in my garden, I'd go out and work in my garden all day long. Then I'd go run five miles when I was younger. And um, you know, just push, push, push. And we're, we're just like a child. You know how the point, your child gets to a point where he's too tired to sleep? And then you have a miserable night because the family can't because the child's too tired to sleep? We do that to ourselves. We can push ourselves beyond a point on Saturday that Saturday night becomes a very fitful rest and we are all the more exhausted on uh, the Lord's Day. And so we have to, again, know ourselves, what are appropriate limits, but not to push ourselves uh, to a point of exhaustion that actually then we're not going to be rested at all come the Lord's Day. Well, these are some of the uh, practical aspects in terms of physical uh, preparation practical preparation. Um, let me address a question that has come up a couple of times at this point, and that is, when do you begin your Sabbath day? As we're talking about uh, preparation, uh, is there anything in the Scripture about uh, how we should keep the Sabbath in terms of what time the day begins and what time it ends? I believe the Bible teaches a 24-hour day. I don't think that's legalism, that's precision. Those of you that haven't been here can ask somebody else the difference in precision and legalism. But I believe that's what God has given us. It's a gift. And like any other gift, I want to get all of it. I don't want some to be cheated of a portion of what God has given to me. But when does that 24-hour day begin? Well, of course, in, uh, in Jewish culture, the day began at uh, sundown and uh, went to the next uh, sundown. And the Poundstones would tell me that when they were in Cyprus, they visited in Israel, and actually the, uh, the Orthodox Jews published in a newspaper the exact moment of sundown on uh, Friday night, and an exact moment of sundown on Saturday night, so that you don't miss it by a minute. Um, so uh, it's all regulated by the rabbis. And there are people then, and particularly because of the uh, desire to approach preparation in a proper manner, there are uh, individuals and families, and that's how they approach their Sabbath. And they do it from Saturday evening to Sunday evening after uh, evening worship. And I don't think there's anything at all wrong with that. But I think there's two things that you need to keep in mind. In the first place, there's nothing sacred about the Jewish way of doing time. It does not come out of the creation. The evening and morning of, of uh, Genesis 1 uh, are not the pattern of, creation, of, of time that we find in uh, Jewish culture. So uh, this was a, a way that the Jews kept time, um, but I think we could safely say on the basis of uh, John's account of the crucifixion, when John uses Roman time and not Jewish time, 
accommodate himself to his audience that there's nothing sacred about one way of keeping time over another. And so I, I personally think that the best way to keep the Sabbath is according to the culture where you live. If you live in a culture where the day begins at sunset, then you keep the Sabbath at sunset. If you live in a culture uh, like ours where the day begins at midnight, then you keep the Sabbaths from midnight to midnight. Uh, but it is a matter of liberty. Uh, but the other caution to keep in mind is, I think particularly in today's climate, that we need to avoid the appearance of evil. And so you're keeping the Sabbath from sundown to sundown, and so you stop and buy pizza on the way home from church, and some of the young people see you doing that, and they don't know that you're keeping the Sabbath from sundown to sundown. They think you're breaking the Sabbath. And so it's, it's a thing that to be sensitive in terms of the kind of signals uh, that we send in a culture where Sabbath-keeping is so uh, neglected and looked down on. But each family, each individual needs to work that out uh, for uh, himself or themselves. I find a nice summary of this uh, approach to preparing for the Sabbath in the larger catechism. I don't think I've made my larger catechism commercial this week. Uh, you notice I've used it an awful lot, and it really is the, uh, the kind of the ugly stepsister of the Westminster Standards. Um, and it's the lost treasure because of that. Uh, the larger catechism is my favorite part of the three because it, it takes the massive theology of uh, the Westminster Standards and uh, gives, them to us, uh, gives it to us in a very uh, practical way with uh, all kinds of practical helps uh, coupled into that. And so it's a, it's a glorious document. I, I won't embarrass you by asking you if you've... Uh, read it to raise your hand, um, but I, if I were a betting man, I would bet on the basis of other groups this size that there's a good number of you here that probably have not read the larger catechism, and that, that's to your detriment. Uh, so I encourage you to uh, start this Lord's Day afternoon reading the larger catechism. But Number 117, how is the Sabbath of the Lord's Day to be sanctified? Oops, that's not the right. Maybe it is, yeah. So there's a thing on uh, the approach to the... Yeah, okay, that's, it's the end of that. After it tells us how to sanctify, it says, And to that end, we are to prepare our hearts, and with such foresight diligence and moderation to dispose and seasonably dispatch our worldly business that we may be more free and fit for the duties of the day. So what I've been giving you in these practical instructions is how to fulfill this pastoral counsel, how you can dispose and seasonably dispatch with all foresight, diligence, and moderation your worldly business so that you're more free and fit for the duties of the day. So that's enough on the practical preparations. Let us look some now at the um, spiritual preparations of the day. And there's a great quote uh, in Richard Steele's book, A Remedy for Wandering Thoughts in the Worship of God. All of us probably need that. Uh, and he gives four remedies, and one of them is 
preparation. And so he warns that the lack of preparation is one of the one of the four great causes of being distracted in worship. The third cause of distractions in the service of God is unpreparedness unto it. If thou prepare thine heart and stretch out thine hands to him, if iniquity be in thine hand, put it far away and thou shalt be steadfast. First prepare the heart, then stretch out the hands. He that keeps not his foot when he goes into the house or service of God is very likely to stumble and to offer but the sacrifice of fools. He that is unfitted for any work must needs be unfixed in it. As holy Mr. Dodd used to say of afflictions, when we're prepared for them, they're like a sword that only strikes upon our armor. But when we're unprepared, they're like a sword striking on our bare skin. Even so, when the heart is well fixed and prepared for the Lord's service, an impertinent thought or suggestion falls on our armor. But when we come unprepared, it meets with our very hearts and runs away with them. If a man comes into a prince's presence undressed, unbrushed, or without his band, I don't know what a band is, you may easily imagine how, when he's aware of the feathers or dirt that is about him, he is distracted. So is the soul woefully carried off when approaching to God. The follies of sin and vanities of the world disfigure and divert it from a close conversation with him. And therefore, a serious Christian doth not only pray and watch in prayer, but watcheth unto prayer. And there he lays for us the foundation of the importance of spiritual preparations. Now again, I'm, I list here four things. The first is to approach today with great thanksgiving to the Lord for the day. I think you kids remember we talked a couple of days ago about if we're honest, sometimes our attitudes are, oh no, it's Sunday. And that is such a, um, a dishonoring thing to our Lord. It'd be like coming to um, your birthday party and saying, oh no, um, mommy made me a birthday cake. Or my parents have given me a party. Now that's dumb, isn't it? Well, it's just as dumb to approach the Lord's Day with, oh no, it's Sunday. I've got to go to church. I've got to review catechism. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And we as adults fall into that same thing. We would like to keep working on that work project. Uh, we'd like to watch the ball game. Uh, we'd like to know who won it before Monday morning. And we say, oh no. But in fact, if, if, you've, if you've caught something of the passion of what we've been trying to do in these messages and remember the, the tremendous privileges attached in Isaiah 58:14, that then you will delight yourself in the Lord and ride on the heights of the earth and enjoy your spiritual inheritance then you approach the day with thanksgiving I greet thee whom my sure redeemer art that this is a day of rest and gladness the best day of all and you rise thanking the Lord for the Lord's day and thanking Him for the reminder of the day that He has provided for you a Savior. He did not leave you in your sin, but He chose you in the foundations before the foundations of the earth and gave you to the Savior. And the Savior came in the fullness of time in order to accomplish your salvation. And He rose on the first day of the week for your justification. And you train yourself to think this way as you awaken in the morning 
Thank you, Lord, for salvation. Thank you for the work of Christ. Thank you for raising Christ. Thank you for this day that reminds me of the work of Christ and of the eternal life that is already mine and for the means of grace that are mine in this day. Thank you that I don't have to worry about work this day. I don't have to worry about those responsibilities. But you freed me for this weekly spiritual vacation. And so train yourselves to uh, rise and, and begin the day with the true gratitude to God that he has provided such a day for you. And then in connection with the Lord's Day worship, spend some time in self-examination. And in a lot of Reformed circles these days, self-examination is kind of a no-no. It leads to morbid introspection and, and all of that. Uh, and there is a wrong kind of self-examination. If it's a self-examination divorced from Christ and the grace of the gospel, it can lead to a morbid introspection. But that's not what the Bible or the Westminster Standards have in mind when they talk about self-examination. Got again in the larger catechism this very helpful question and answer on how to prepare yourself before you come to the Lord's Supper. And I say that what we have here uh, in some way can be used for every Lord's Day and every Lord's Day service. How do you prepare yourself? They that are to receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper are before they come to prepare themselves by examining themselves of their being in Christ. Are you resting in Christ and Him alone for your salvation? Of their sins and their wants. And so you take uh, some portion of Scripture, the Ten Commandments or the Sermon on the Mount or one of the ethical sections from the epistles or some portion of, of the law, the prophets, and uh, you examine yourself as to your sins, your, your besetting sins and particular transgressions perhaps that uh, you've not dealt with in your regular communication and communion with the Lord and your wants, the needs that you have spiritually. We all have these weaknesses and, and we know what our weaknesses are and the Word of God brings them back to mind. So we become aware of our sins and our wants and um, then of the truth and measure of their knowledge, faith, and repentance. That do I have a true knowledge of God, a true faith and true repentance and am I growing in this? Uh, can I see growth in these areas? Uh, through the course of my life. To examine themselves of their love to God and their brethren. Charity to all men, forgiving those that have done them wrong. Do you see a, a growing love for God? A growing love for your neighbor? A charity to those outside of Christ? A desire, a compassion to do good for them? Of their desires after Christ and of their new obedience? Do you desire more of Christ? to know Him better, to have more communion with Him, to obey Him uh, better, and by renewing the exercise of these graces by serious meditation and fervent prayer so that we stir ourselves up then to seek from the Lord His grace in these areas. And this is uh, very useful in coming to the Lord's table because you come then knowing your needs. And we should come to the Lord's table with our weakness and asking Christ then not only to forgive our sins, but to, to supply our weaknesses, to give us strength against temptation, grace against sin, to supply these wants. You have cold affections, you come to the Lord's table and you ask the Lord to stir up your affections. And so we ought to examine ourselves so that uh, we come then to worship 
uh, longing for greater measures of grace and knowing that God has promised to meet with us in corporate worship and to give us of himself and to feed us that it is indeed uh, the true uh, uh, and great means of grace in the public ordinances. In connection with this, we also examine ourselves so that we don't come to worship with undealt with sin. Now, I understand that we, God doesn't expect us to deal with every little sin. I mean, we, we sin in thought, word, and deed in ways far beyond our own imaginations. But He doesn't want us to have any known sin undealt with. And the, the Scripture warns against this from a couple of perspectives. In the first place, if we know that... Um, uh, there's a problem between us and our brother or sister in Christ. Uh, Christ says in Matthew chapter 5, you deal with that before you come to public worship. How many times have we uh, been at public worship with an undealt problem between husband and wife and we simply did not take the time, we unwilling on one part or the other or both to humble ourselves and deal with it before we came into the presence of God? even though our Savior clearly warns us that um, our worship is not acceptable if we approach Him in that way. Are you children? You're upset with your parents. Are you brother or sister had a, a fuss before you came to church? Uh, Christ calls you to deal with those kind of things and to make confession to Him and to one another, to be reconciled as you would come into His presence. Because ultimately what we're doing is quenching, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. He will sovereignly hold back in the dispensing of His blessings upon us if we presumptuously or deliberately um, uh, refuse to deal with sin in our relationships. And of course, there's also the, uh, the horizontal warning with respect to this, not just in relationships, but uh, in our direct dealings with God as the psalmist reminds us in Psalm 66, verse 18, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And not only is he grieved if I come with undealt with sin in my relationships, but um, he's not going to hear my prayers if I'm covering over sin in my relationship with him. And so the self-examination prepares me to come and feed on Christ, whom I need. What keeps it from becoming morbid introspection is it's always focused on Christ. Just as, again, the Catechism's definition of repentance is a a sense of my sin with um, an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. And so it always brings it back to Christ for pardon and for grace. And so I confess my sins and I come to worship then seeking the grace of God that I might grow in grace and in holiness. And I'm not quenching the Spirit, nor am I an Achan in the midst of the congregation because of my own uh, sinful or bitter attitude that I bring to worship. So as we prepare, we spend some time in self-examination. Now for some of us, this will be something we might do on Saturday night. Others will use Sunday morning again. And that's not the issue when you do it, but that you have some time of uh, preparation uh, in which you uh, examine yourself as you prepare to come to worship. And the third thing here is to stir up your affections. We'll talk about this more tomorrow morning in Psalm 92, but... Oftentimes, corporate worship is a drag because we come to it ill-prepared. And then what we want is, is music or emotions that are external to us to 
drive our worship. And that's idolatry. You understand that? If you're relying on the music of the worship service to stir up your emotions, that's idolatry. Now, music is to help us, and music helps our emotions. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But our emotions are first to be stirred by whom? By the Lord, in his beauty, in his glory, in his splendor, in his majesty. But for that to happen, you must spend some time meditating on him, on his names, his his attributes, his works, and seeking to have your own affection stirred up, stirred by God, stirred by his grace, so that you come to worship, ready to meet with this one who has shown you something of his beauty and loveliness. And we bring our cold hearts to him for fixing. I'm sure that many of you are like me and one of my greatest griefs is my lack of, of holy affections, my lack of longing for heaven. And You know, I can't fix that. I just have to keep bringing that to God and ask Christ to give me more grace in this way. But I want that grace. I want greater affections for God. I want to be gripped by His beauty, particularly as I come into His presence so that my heart really is going out to Him in love and affection. And then closely connected, uh, the fourth thing here is to seek God's aid and presence in our worship. Now, we need to be praying about the worship service. And we need to, again, train ourselves, both individually and in family worship and at the church prayer meeting, to be praying during the week, every day, and in prayer meeting for the preparation and proclamation of the Word of God. We most often don't come to church expecting God to do much, do we? We'd kind of be like that prayer meeting when Peter was in jail. And uh, when uh, he knocked on the door, they didn't believe he was there because they were praying for him because he was in jail. Now, what in the world they were praying, I don't know. But um, that's, isn't that how we are? <laughs> if God did something on Sunday morning, if a few people got saved, we wouldn't know what to do. Now, you know, as, as Reformed people who are committed to um, views of worship and high views of preaching, we all mourn the fact that we don't see a greater work of God in our churches. And it's very easy to uh, cast blame uh, on our theology and on our culture. And it's true that we live in a culture that is, is quite antithetical to who we are, what we believe, how we worship. But I'll, I'll tell you something that I think is very important for us to grasp. And that is that we learn in Mark chapter 6 that when Jesus was in Nazareth, he couldn't do many miracles. Why? Because of unbelief. Now, he could do the miracles. It's not that he suddenly lost his power. But God has a principle that God does not normally operate in a context of unbelief. With what measure you measure, it shall be measured unto you again, and much more. This doesn't rule out grace. It's all of grace. 
But God expects us to use the means. And God expects us as a church and as an individual to be seeking Him diligently to meet with us in worship and to come to us in the preaching of His Word. And it says you and I are praying daily, individually and together for the preparation and proclamation of the Word of God that we can come and see God work in our midst. We don't have to water down the preaching. We don't need to make the the worship uh, uh, friendly to the pagans of the world. We do what we're doing by Scripture, but we do in a dependence upon the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And so our Sabbath preparation entails constant prayer for the preparation and preaching of the Word, for the presence of the Spirit in the worship service. Now, God is always with us. We understand that. We also understand that He manifests Himself in unique and powerful ways to His church. We see it in the book of Acts, don't we? That's what being filled with the Spirit entailed. Not some supernatural babbling, but the presence of God and speaking the Word of God with boldness. And we need to be praying for that. That the Spirit will cause us to see the glory of God in His worship and will move among us. We pray then that He will send to us People in whose hearts the Spirit is at work. Not just that He'll send visitors, but He'll send visitors in whom the Spirit's at work, already working to bring them to Christ. I was had the privilege this last Sunday night to preach at, uh, at Trinity, my former church in Escondido. And uh, before the service, there's a time for prayer requests. And this lady said, would you please pray for me? I think God's working in my heart and I want to know Him. Yeah, that's right. And when I preached, I spoke to Barbara. I said, Barbara, this is how God will answer your prayer. And I reminded the people, they've been praying for people like Barbara, and that's why she was there. And had the naive innocence to ask the congregation to pray that God might show Himself to her. So we pray that the Spirit will come among us. And then we pray that the Spirit will enable us to worship that uh, He will help us with our distractions and our weaknesses and our wandering minds. And we do these things not just individually, but we also do them with our children then. Uh, teaching them not only how to worship, but praying with them and seeking to have our hearts and minds prepared. Often in doing this, families can make very good use of Christian uh, tapes or, or CDs, music, playing hymns, and uh, psalms on Sunday morning, which uh, in the car going to church, and the house uh, in the morning, which just further helps us to be ready to worship with the Lord. And then one other thing as we wrap this up, and that is um, what I said the other day, yesterday I guess it was, or two days ago, just to bring you back to that, that proper preparation involves proper planning. So if you're going to make the best of the Lord's Day, determine how you're going to use the Lord's Day. And be wise in that so you're not taxing yourself or your children and you're balanced in the use of the Lord's Day and all the various activities and privileges that God gives to you. In connection with that, then, though it's not really preparation, take an inventory then. Just as the Catechism reminds us to take an inventory on how we profited from the Lord's Supper, take an inventory 
How have you profited from this day? Were there sins in the day that you need to confess and ask God to help you with? Um, were there things you could have done differently or better? Were there, there places you let your guard down? Whatever. Take an inventory, then keep that in mind as you plan for the next day. Because ultimately it's just like the vacation or the important business transaction. Whatever it is, uh, the better the planning, the better the event. And so may God help all of us to plan ahead. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for, again, the practical nature of your word that uh, there is no tension or dichotomy between doctrine and life, that um, your truth uh, penetrates our lives, and as you train us to think and to love and to feel, you also train us how to live practically. And we pray, Lord, that we, uh, for ourselves and for our children, will make good use of the Lord's day, and we'll approach it with great care and preparation, and that we will then find those blessings that you've promised to us in that day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.